We are, as I've just sort of mentioned in that prayer, we're looking at um, the topic of unity today. And uh, this is coming out of our journey through the book of, uh, or the letter of 1 Corinthians. It's the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And we're going to be opening up to chapter 1 again today. So you can open up there if you're wanting to follow along with us. And um, we'll particularly be looking at verses 10 um, through to, I think it's 13. And so last week we introduced some of the basics of the letter. As I said, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he planted in the city of Corinth. And we learned that the city of Corinth is full of all sorts of immorality, um, all kinds of pagan worship, every type of immorality that you could imagine. Um, that It all went into the makeup of the culture of that city where this church existed, temples of many other gods and goddesses were there. And if you lived there, you couldn't help but um, be affected by that culture and, and the mixed messages that you would receive as a Christian living in that place, right, amongst all other religions and so on. And so the challenge existed for this church in Corinth to ensure that it didn't allow itself to be sucked in, you know, by the melting pot of all the different uh, cultures surrounding it, but rather that it remained set apart to Jesus, right, in the midst of that difficult culture and, and society that it was in, establishing themselves not on the practices of everyone who lived around them, but on the, on the well-known um, practices of what it means to live in the way of Jesus Christ, right? And so that's the challenge for every church. It's the challenge for us. We talked about how it's not really too different from the, from the times we're living in today. The culture of modern society um, is one that is you know, definitely a melting pot of all different kinds of beliefs and ways of life. You know, you just choose whichever path you want to go and that's how you can live and everyone will be happy to get along with that, right? There's mixed messages and yet the call for us last week was, no, there's a way to follow Jesus and it's, and it's well known and well taught through the centuries and where to live set apart for him and lives for him. So the challenge is practicing the way of Jesus in a culture that tries to drag us away from him, right? That was last week. We're going to learn today, um, you know, Paul starts addressing one of the major issues that the church in Corinth is facing. And sure enough, it's still a major issue that we're challenged with, you know, in our, in our lives today. There's a lot of similarities between us and the church in Corinth. What type of um, question are we asking? We're asking what does it mean for the local church to live in unity, right? I wonder what you think about when you think of unity in a Christian uh, church. Who or what unites the local church? How united should the local church be? How much, dif how much difference can there be? How much unity is too much unity in the church? No matter how small a group of people is that, that are seeking to live for Jesus and live together and follow a particular path, there's always going to be some level of diversity, isn't there? I think even of um, Paul and Barnabas, they were on mission together and they decide to split ways. You know, Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them and Paul was like, no way, I'm not doing that. And so they just say, okay, we're going to split, you know. So even in the church, from Paul himself, he struggled with this at times, right? Unity is a difficult thing to experience. It's not helped by the culture that we're in, right? The society we're in says, 
you know, right, right from the beginning, we can be an individual. We can eat what we want, live the way that we want. You know, the Fleetwood Mac song says, you can go your own way, right? They use it in advertising all the times. So the, the lie that we're sold is your life is your choice, right? And you can do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good, that'll be good. And we're told to be wary of anything, any message that might tell us, no, actually, you've got to fit in with the tribe. You've got to fit in with what others are doing, right? We're told to be wary of that. We're cautioned of that in our society. And so inevitably that issue of unity, that issue of agreeing with one another plays out in the local church, doesn't it? You will have had experiences of this in the past where churches couldn't get along with one another. Decisions that needed to be made, there couldn't be a consensus. And so... What are we going to do? What does Paul say about this to the church in Corinth? Starting at verse 10 in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's pretty bold. And I thought I might ask us a couple of questions. We can have a show of hands and we'll just sort of get the ball rolling on this, see what sort of um, unity there is among us. Who here likes to shop at Woolworths over Coles? Okay, who, who prefers Coles over Woolworths? Right, I, I'm, in, I'm in that camp. And who here would rather go to Aldi instead of <laughs> any of those others? Okay, so we're off to a good start. <laughs> who here... Um, prefers Apple products over anything else, right? Very good. I'm in that camp. What about Android? Yep, there's quite a few of you. Very good. Queensland versus New South Wales. Who's for Queensland? That's the way. We won't ask about the others. And um, <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, pineapple on your pizza, anyone? Yep, or no pineapple? Okay, there you go. So... These are some very trivial divides that are, that are among us, but we could spice things up a little bit more, couldn't we? Okay, <laughs> we could think about things to do with the church. Who would prefer to sing hymns over contemporary style worship? There's a few of us who would prefer contemporary worship over hymns. Who doesn't care? <laughs> okay, very good. We could talk about which Bible translation you prefer to read. Okay, and not just which one you prefer to read, but which one is the correct translation, right? We could, we could talk about that. Churches, the church divides itself along these lines, right? You might know some people who think a certain way about that. We could spice things up even, even a little bit more, <laughs> you know, and we could talk about political parties. We could talk about their leaders. We could talk about COVID-19, and the various uh, concerns about mask wearing and vaccine mandates and checking into stores and etc., etc., etc. All things we're going through in our life. We could bring up any number of moral and ethical issues and we would find that there would be a, a, a line drawn and there would be some of us on one side and, and others of us on the other side on many issues. And, I'm, and we're talking about the church. And so what does Paul mean when he says in, in this uh, chapter, agree with one another in what you say? What is he talking about? What does he mean when he says 
there should be no divisions among you. That we should be perfectly united in mind and thought. Surely you can't mean that we all have to be clones of one another, right? Surely, I don't know about you, but I, um, I kind of like the way I do things, right? I don't know if I want to be like other people here in every situation and decision. Even later on in the letter, we see him talk about the body of Christ and how it's made up of many parts, right? And so surely he doesn't mean that we have to be clones and all have to be the same. What does he mean when he says to agree with one another and to be perfectly united? In verse 11, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So Chloe must be some prominent person in, in Corinth um, who has an ability to reach Paul who's writing from Ephesus and some from her household get, get to Paul with, with a message. There's quarrels among the church in Corinth. <laughs> and the word quarrels was not talking about mild misunderstandings, right? It, the word quarrel would have been better understood as um, battle strife, right? That's sort of a hyphenated word that one scholar said, battle strife. That's how you explain it. Proper conflict amongst groups in the church, arguing over different decisions. And, and there was contention. There was conflict in the church in Corinth. And, and then Paul goes on to explain a little bit. Verse 12, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, who's actually Peter. This is Jewish name. And then still another, I follow Christ, right? So there's sort of these groups. They say that ethnicity might have had something to do with this, these divisions in the church. Paul was, was a Roman citizen, right? And so that group in the church, the, the, the Romans in the church, probably would have sided with Paul on some things. You know, Apollos, he was Greek. And so maybe the, the Greeks in the church would have gone with him as their leader. They liked him. They identified with him. Cephas, he's Peter the Jew, the Jews in Corinth, in the church there, they would have sided with him. All of these ethnic groups had representation in the church amongst leaders in the church, and that could have been part of the issue, right? Maybe it was just that they preferred some leaders over others. You know, Paul's moved on to Ephesus, and some people are missing him, and they sort of say, we kind of like the way Paul was. We don't want to listen to you, Apollos, or however it was. The only group who weren't claiming any ethnic background um, were um, the ones who said, I follow Christ, right? They were that group. And initially you read it and think, thank goodness, there were some of them who just wanted to follow Jesus, right? That's how, that's how I read it initially, but it's very likely that this group was saying that they, they were kind of had it wrong. They were saying, we're the only ones who really know what's right. We follow Jesus. We're the only ones who, who know how to do that. Everyone else has got it wrong, right? Kind of like... Um, God's so lucky to have us, you know, it was a bit of that type of attitude and no real group in any church and no church, no local church, no denomination gets to make that claim, right? We can't say that we're right and everyone else is wrong, right? That's not, that's not a humble Christ-like attitude. And so the group that claimed to follow Jesus were probably being just as divisive as the others. And so what does Paul mean <laughs> when he says, there should be no divisions among you. You know, everyone should agree with one another. Verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? 
was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? The New Living Translation says, has Christ been divided into factions? And obviously the answer is no. Paul is trying to remind the church that um, while their lives are found in Jesus and their faith is in him, they have something that brings them together, right? Despite what separates them, despite ethnicity, despite their choice of leader or preference. The question is not which leader do I like, nor is it which preference is my preference. The question is not who is on my side of the fence. The question is not um, who disagrees with me, right? These are not questions we need to concern ourselves with in the local church. The question we need to be asking is, and the question Paul points the church to is, who died for us? Who was crucified for us? Whose name were we baptised into? That's a question we all answer the same. You know, that's, this was like Paul's way of just saying, hey, come back to the plumb line. This is where, this is where all the concerns and worries and, and, and uh, you know, disagreements, they all level out at this. Who was crucified for us? Jesus was. Our claim for unity, no matter how vast our differences are, is that Jesus' death on the cross and our commitment to live in such a way that identifies with that death and resurrection, these are the keys for our life together in unity, yeah? These are the things that actually, at the end of the day, if you were to, if, I think the persecuted church really understands this too, you know? Um, I was listening to a uh, podcast from Open Doors, and there was some leader there that was sent out on their first sort of uh, mission work, to support the persecuted church, and they were in somewhere in Eastern Europe, and um, there was this uh, Orthodox Orthodox church, and he was going to try and connect with them, and he was kind of thinking, "Gee, these guys, I'm not even sure they know, you know, what that. I'm not even sure they get what real faith is. You know, these people are sort of uh, really traditional, and they their worship is all about worship styles and so on. But after ministering to them, connecting with them, finding support with them, and also doing a life with this, you know, Eastern Orthodox Church or whatever it was, he found these people truly had faith and they were just as ready to, to, to die for the faith as, as any other Christian would be, right? And so the death of Jesus on the cross, that's the thing that unites us. Everything else is secondary, right? You could imagine Paul saying, were you baptised into the name of Anastasia Palaszczuk <laughs> or Scott Morrison? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going there, right? But we, th- these are relevant things that people are dividing themselves up over. Were you baptised into the name of Scott Griffith or any other church leader? Did your vaccination status die for you? Do we think that any preference of ours is of higher value? Of higher value than what Jesus paid for when he went to the cross. I'm not saying we shouldn't make decisions, right? It's responsible to make decisions. I get that. But we can't let those things divide us, right? We've got to keep focused on Jesus. If Paul was here, he'd say there's a lot of things from our culture and society right now that are trying to divide us, trying to make life difficult for us. But the church is a place where we say, who died for us? You know, that's the thing that's going to keep us moving forward, keep us getting through all of the things that we're facing.
I don't think Jesus is drawing these lines between us. One of the things when we read through, um, you know, a lot of Paul's letters, this issue wasn't just in Corinth, you know, it was in a lot of the, the churches, you know, disunity because of ethnicity or because of leadership or whatever it was, or theology, you know, the, the Jewish Christians trying to make the Gentiles do certain things and vice versa. And he keeps bringing it back to Jesus is the one that, that, that unites us, you know, keeping our focus on him, reminding ourselves when, we, when we're triggered by, we, we see someone doing something we don't agree with and it's in the church and we're triggered by that and, oh, gee, that person, you know, they don't have it right. They haven't made the right decision, you know, and we've got to remind ourselves in that moment, actually, you know, their faith is in Jesus. Jesus died for them. He's the one that unites us despite what secondary decisions we make. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves me. I ought to love them as well. You know, these things are important for us. And, you know, we don't know what the future holds. Kind of, I feel like never before have we been so um, unsure about what next year looks like or the year after. You know, five-year plans are kind of, you know, just on the back burner. We don't know what it looks like, but there's a promise here, you know, coming together, continuing to meet together in Jesus' name. This is something that's going to get us through. This is something that we're going to be able to uh, find a source of um, energy for commitment, energy for continuing on. Being willing to do life with one another despite our differences is a sacrifice we can make because Jesus made a sacrifice for us, you know, himself on the cross. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 14, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about between Jew and Gentile, but you can insert your own differences there. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You know, all the things that polarise us, it's all going to go, you know. Eternity won't have these issues, you know. We'll be perfectly united in Jesus. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And our, our prayer and our hope as a church is that Jesus' work of building us together will continue even when there's a, this is a time where we're torn apart by being forced to make decisions. In Philippians 2, starting at verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, right, and he's united with Christ, 
It's not united with one another yet. It's united with Christ. If there's any encouragement from, from living and, and, and dying with Him in baptism and being raised to a new life, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the, in the one spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. At least have that awareness, He's saying. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's one more I want to read out of Romans 6. Paul again, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is what baptism signifies, right? We died with Christ. We've become like him, united with him. And every one of us goes through that death, right? And then we're raised to a new life together in Christ. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And, and the choice to live with Jesus, to identify with his death and resurrection is the choice to live with one another. The choice to be united to Christ is a choice to be united to his church, you know, whether, whether we like him or not, <laughs> you know. And so... One more verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And these, all of these verses, all of, all of this idea of being united with Christ needs to shape our gatherings together. It needs to be reminders of when we get frustrated by the decisions that are being made by others in the church or other Christian leaders that we see around the place in other churches or other denominations and, and so on. The list goes on. This is a time where we need to be reminded, no, actually, we were baptised into Christ. He died for us. He's the one that unites us. He claims the highest priority above every other secondary thing that we have to make a decision about. When we come together, it's now about how can we bring glory to Jesus? It's not got anything to do with our preferences. 
And so what's our response? What's our response going to be to the known differences between us? Are they going to shape our gatherings? Are they going to shape the way we get along with one another? Or are we going to be able to remember, you know, the one who unites us? Are we going to be able to gather in his name despite all of these other things? There's something that the church very early on, um, I think it might be fourth century, came up with. It was the Apostles' Creed, right? And um, the early church came up with this because this was a way of saying, well, at the end of the day, here's what we agree on, right? They needed to use something to be able to say, here's the measuring rule, you know, for, for being a Christian. If you believe this, then this is what it is. This is, this is what unites us. And so, you know, throughout church history, the church has used this creed um, to, uh, you know, as a way of um, interrogation is the wrong word, but if they're going to baptise someone or take someone into membership, they want to know that that person believes certain things. And I want to read it to you. And they'd really ask three questions. And then with each question, they'd read a part of the creed out. And this is what it, this is what it says. The first question would be, do you believe in God? And, the, and the, the Christian would say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's a good start. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Okay, well, that's good. Tick, you got that right. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church or the Universal Church is what it's saying, not the denomination. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And they go, praise God, you're a Christian. You believe those things. This is what unites us and draws us together. So I want to pray to close and I want to invite you to respond and to reflect on you know, what is God asking you to do out of this? How is he trying to encourage you to continue to do life together despite our differences? What changes need to be made in your heart and in the way you're doing life now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you that, that, that he is our hope. We thank you that... Um, when we signed up to follow you, we signed up to be united with him in his death, united with him in, in the humility it takes to live in a sacrificial way, in a way that sets aside what we would prefer for the thing that you call us to do. And I pray that that would be true of us. I pray that that would be a marker of our church here. I pray that there'd be a way in which uh, we, we prioritise the thing that unites us, the one who unites us, that Jesus would shape our gatherings, that he would shape our relationships and our, and our lives together. That all the divisions, all the things that culture says should divide us, I pray that it all be secondary. 
that at the end of the day, we'd give up our preferences in order to be with one another. Help us with this, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.